Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning, the final from Progressive Field in Cleveland. It's the Cleveland Guardians 2, the New York Yankees nothing. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy watching baseball being played. And in full honesty, I again did not get much of a chance to watch this game bouncing back and forth between uh, holiday parties yesterday. Uh, didn't really get to watch, but was keeping track of it all day. Was very excited for how things turned out. Uh, enjoyed the condensed game when I got home. And uh, yeah, I am ready to talk about this one. I am ready to dive into the storylines of this win. Because to beat the Yankees, we didn't play perfect, but we had to play damn near near perfect to beat the Yankees, right? We had to play near perfect baseball here. Honestly, you know, a base running mistake, an error in the ninth almost cost us the game. But a base running mistake, uh, you know, really hurt in the eighth inning. And then uh, we're, we're kind of lucky that Tristan McKenzie, uh, you know, found something, found another gear in the month of July because uh, the pitching really set us up for success. And yes, they did give uh, they did give Judge the day off. He pinched hit in the ninth, but he had the day off. So yes, their lineup was a little bit easier than normal. They gave LeMayhew the day off. He also uh, came in in a pinch hit situation. Uh, and Carpenter came in in a pinch hit situation. So they did give some guys that were giving us trouble the days off, but they still had to go in there and face uh, Rizzo, face Giancarlo Stanton, face Donaldson, and Glaber Torres. So it's still a pretty tough lineup that he had to go in there, that McKenzie had to go in there and face. Um, and he was able to get the job done. I mean, a sterling line for Tristan McKenzie. Seven innings pitched, one hit, no runs, one walk, and seven strikeouts on 92 pitches. I believe he also might have plunked. Yeah, he hit Marwin Gonzalez. So three base runners allowed over seven innings pitched. He's only hard hit one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight times. I mean, what a difference, right? The Guardians pitching is only hard hit nine times. The Yankees pitching is hard hit 11 times, as opposed to that game one of the series where they were hard hit 19 times. Makes a little bit of a difference in the final box score. I know hard hit balls aren't everything, and they don't always mean success. Stephen Kwan's leadoff single to kick off the game is the perfect example of that. 60.5 miles per hour. 60.5 miles per hour, and it's a leadoff single. So yeah, and then Ahmed Rosario hits one at 105 miles per hour, and it's a ground into a double play. So hard hit balls are not everything, but there's a big difference between giving up 9 and giving up 19. Uh, so yeah, the Guardians do a great job. Let's get into the pitching on the day. What was working for Tristan McKenzie? Uh, what was he doing versus Jordan Montgomery? Jordan Montgomery also pitched very well. We should we should keep it fair on the show, which we do. Montgomery goes five innings, only gives up three hits, only gives up one run on the solo home run. He had three walks, but he had eight strikeouts and was only hard hit five times. Uh, J.P. Spears out of the bullpen gives up the next run. Man, they tried to get a lot out of J.P. Spears, didn't they? They pitched him two and two-thirds of an inning. Man, they really tried to run that guy all the way to the end of the game. And it did not work in their favor. So uh, McKenzie, looking over at the illustrator here, uh, really attacking uh, with a lot of his pitches. Attacking with that fastball, attacking with the curveball, attacking with the slider, Mixing all four pretty, all three pretty evenly. 
doing what we like to see from a righty. The curveball stays to the arm side. The slider sweeps across to the glove side. And the fastball is in all four quadrants. That's something the lefty Montgomery can't do. Uh, and we see this a lot with lefties. They can get to three quadrants, but they can't get that up and in quadrant to the right-handed hitters, the up and away quadrant to the left-handed hitters. They seem to be on this plane, this plane that goes from their upper arm side to their lower glove side. And that's exactly what we got here from Montgomery. Um, you know, this big sweep across the zone. Now, going over to the player breakdown, what was working for McKenzie on the day? Who that curveball. Oh, man. Eight swings. He threw it 18 times. Threw the slider 26 times. Threw the fastball 48 times. We knew he would go with the fastball the most. That curveball, he got eight swings on it, five whiffs. A 63% whiff rate. Add in four called strikes. It's good for a 50% CSW on that pitch. Who that curveball was good. And like I said, he wasn't just burying it outside the zone. The same thing Savali was doing. He was throwing it in the zone. He was being aggressive with that curveball. And same thing with that slider. It's still a 40% whiff rate on the slider, which is pretty good. Um, they did put a few. They only put one curveball in play the whole day. They put a few more sliders in play. They did put nine fastballs in play. He had 10 called strikes on it, which is decent. Um, but yeah, they were hitting it at 96.2 miles per hour average exit velocity. So... The fastball, they were hitting a little bit, but the off-speed stuff, very good on the day for Tristan McKenzie. It's a 30% CSW total on the day. And he was really, I mean, he was really cruising through this game. Cruises through the first time through the lineup. And now, you know, just like uh, just like earlier in this series, what are you going to do second time through the lineup? Well, that's where he starts to get into a little bit of trouble, but he holds it together. He doesn't give up the game right here. He strikes out Anthony Rizzo to actually kick off that fourth inning, but then walks Giancarlo Stanton. That breaks up uh, the perfect game. I mean, through three. And then gives up a single to Josh Donaldson, which breaks up the no-hitter. But then gets Glaber Torres into a force out and Trevino to ground out to end the threat. So, doesn't give up the inning. Yes, he lets guys on that second time through, but holds it together. Doesn't give up the inning. And then settles down. I mean, that fifth inning goes one, two, three. Uh, he hits Marwin Gonzalez to start the sixth, but gets two strikeouts of Stanton and Donaldson to end that threat after popping out Rizzo. So that's a really good job of, you know, sometimes that leadoff walk, right? Or in this case, leadoff hit by the pitch leads to a big inning, right? It can lead to disaster, but the leadoff base runner doesn't bother McKenzie. He ends up striking out Stanton and striking out Donaldson. And then the seventh inning, they go, they put the ball in play, but they go one, two, three. Much like the first inning, uh, where they hit the ball pretty hard off of him. Uh, fly out, line out, line out. Uh, same thing here in the seventh inning. It's a line out, fly out, fly out. But that line out was at 106.5 miles per hour. But it's an out. That's the important part. It's an out. That's where that bat bip comes into play, right? Batting average balls in play. Sometimes it shows you got a little bit lucky. Uh, and in that seventh inning, you know, there's uh, some pretty high expected batting average here. An 820 expected at batting average from Glaber Torres. A 480 expected batting average on the flyout from Trevino. But they're outs. That's the important thing. So McKenzie gives you a really, really fantastic start. Going back over to the illustrator here. Uh, and just looking at where these strikeouts were located. Because he did rack up some good strikeouts. Curveballs were the pitch that he got most of the strikeouts on. 
five of the seven strikeouts come via the curveball. And the three of them, I mean, these aren't below-the-knee curveballs. Uh, these are competitive in-the-zone curveballs for the most part. He gets Marwin Gonzalez in the third inning on a call strike, freezes him with a curveball, uh, gets Aaron Hicks to chase one in-zone in the second inning, gets Joey Gallo to chase one at the knees uh, in the third inning on a 2-2 count, then gets Connor Falefa and uh, Josh Donaldson to expand the zone uh, and strike out on curveballs below the knees. He also got Giancarlo Stanton to chase a slider on the outside edge. Those were those strikeouts in the sixth inning uh, where he gets uh, Giancarlo Stanton on the slider outside, just off the outside edge, and then gets Donaldson to go down after the curveball. And then finally, a called strike. He freezes Anthony Rizzo in the fourth inning on a 1-2 count. So yeah, everything is below the belt, though. Everything is down. Keeping that ball down proved to be very successful for Tristan McKenzie on the day. Montgomery was a little bit of a different story. His eight strikeouts, a bunch of them come from below the knees. We got three curveballs down there. We've got two sinkers down there. Um, the curveballs, I know two of these are Gabriel Arias's um, chasing curveballs down there. We will get to that in a second. But he also got some fastball strikeouts at the top of the zone. Got uh, Arias at the top of the zone in the first inning and got Owen Miller at the top of the zone in the fourth inning. Uh, and then one more to Miles Straw where he jams him inside for a called strike, freezes him, locks him up in there uh, in the fifth inning. Uh, I believe one of these was also a called strike to Stephen Kwan. I believe that one at the bottom of the zone, yes, he freezes Stephen Kwan in the fifth inning. Back-to-back called strikeouts on Straw and Kwan in the fifth inning. So let's get into, well, let's keep talking pitching. Let's keep talking pitching a second because McKenzie didn't do the whole thing by himself. Things get a little bit tense in that ninth inning. First, we got Eli Morgan coming in. Eli Morgan, who had gotten hammered his last three appearances. His last three appearances happened to be against the Minnesota Twins. He gives up two runs, one run, and then three, only two earned, but gives up three runs in his last appearance of June on June 29th. So he has a few days off with the rainout and us getting our butts kicked in that doubleheader. Eli Morgan has a few days off, so he's given up runs in his last three appearances. What is he going to do now facing the Yankees? Well, it's not the Minnesota Twins, so he's going to pitch really well. Uh, he comes in and absolutely uh, dominates that eighth inning. He gets a flyout from DJ LeMahieu, then blows away Gallo and Carpenter with changeups down, changeups below the knees. These are both beautiful pitches. 75.7 miles per hour to Gallo, 77.7 mile per hour changeup to Matt Carpenter. Both lefties go down to the changeup. That is nice. That is, when Eli Morgan is dropping the changeup right there, just below the knees, just at the shins. That's good Eli Morgan pitching right there. So that's what we like to see from him, proving he can still be a weapon out of the bullpen. And then Classe really has to dance around it in that ninth inning. I mean, everybody was kind of on the edge of their seat for that ninth inning. It starts with walking Rizzo. Okay, that's fine. He gets Stanton to hit into a ground out. Only Owen Miller can't catch the ball at first base. God, we've talked about this before. Fielding the ball, probably fine. But the little things a first baseman has to do, Owen Miller kind of sucks at. And uh, an error here really sets um, sets Class A up for some trouble. He gets Donaldson to fly out. He strikes out Glaber Torres. Judge comes in to pinch hit. And he, uh, he walks 
judge to load the bases. And you're thinking, oh boy. I mean, you were already thinking, oh boy, when Judge stepped up to the plate because with one swing, he could have taken the lead. Now with the bases loaded, you've got that tying run in scoring position, but Hicks luckily would ground out to end the threat. And uh, Classe hangs another save uh, on his stat line, on his season. Uh, He's up to 19 saves now on the season. I mean, this guy has to be an all-star, right? He has to be one of the all-star closers. Uh, he's just, he's got the ERA down to one three one. Classe has just been fantastic on the season. Uh, he really, really deserves that call to the All-Star game. Uh, but yeah, he's able to get it done. A tough ninth inning, but he's able to get it done. So, I mean, round of applause for Guardians pitching. That is how you handle the New York Yankees. That is pretty impressive stuff. And we've seen it. This Yankees lineup, it seems like, right, boom or bust. They get no hit by the Houston Astros. They get no hit over like a 16-inning stretch. But then they flip a switch, and they just absolutely explode that offense, right? They end up coming back and winning that next game against the Houston Astros after being no hit 18 innings in a row or something like that, 16 innings in a row. And then they go on to win that game. Well, we didn't let that happen in this one, right? We shut down the offense, and we held it down all day. Uh, So that's good stuff from the Guardians pitching. That's the top storyline of the game. It has to be the Guardians pitching was absolutely fantastic. All right, on the offensive side of things, there's definitely some interesting things we got to talk about because Jose Ramirez gets the day off. Some of you were uh, dreading an IL stint. Some of you were, uh, you know, complaining that Jose even got a day off. Look, Francona said the guy seemed tired, seemed like he was pressing probably, and so he gave him a day off. It's, it does not sound like an IL stint. They didn't do any more MRIs on the thumb or anything like that. He said in the postgame press conference with the doubleheader, the Yankees have a day off tomorrow. We have a doubleheader tomorrow, today, you know, as of recording this. So, uh, yeah, he gave Jose the day off. Now, of course, what does he do? He can't, you know, stress himself out too much by possibly moving guys around in the lineup. So Gabriel Arias, who gets the start for him at third base, the young rookie is now hitting in the three-hole. And, of course, that was a disaster. Of course, he goes 0 for 4 with three strikeouts on that day. He ends up leaving seven guys on base just by himself. Um, yeah, it's a, why wouldn't you put Andres Jimenez? Why wouldn't you give Andres Jimenez, the guy hitting over 300? I know he goes 0 for 4 for the day. But, you know, we've talked about before, the butterfly effect. You change one thing, you don't know what else changes. If he is up, if Andres Jimenez is the one up, with all of these guys on base in front of him. Maybe he does deliver some big hits on the day. But putting Arias in that situation, batting in the three-hole, was a lot of pressure for the young rookie. And remember, this is a perfect lesson for all of you on Guardians Twitter who are obsessed with the minor leagues right now. I've heard people crazy enough that they want to cut like six, seven guys off this roster and bring up six, seven guys from Columbus and think that that is going to fix the offense that that is going to unlock the 95 Indians, right? That's not how rookies work. Rookies struggle. The jump between AAA and the major leagues is the biggest jump they're going to make in their lifetime. Since they played T-ball, the jump from AAA to the major leagues is the biggest jump they're going to make in talent level and difficulty. And Arias is the perfect example of this. We know Arias is going to be a good hitter. 
We know this guy has fantastic talent. He's going to need time to develop it at the major league level. He is not going to come up here and be the next all-star shortstop. It's going to take a little bit of time. And it would be the same way for any of these guys. Some of them might come out a little bit hot, right? Quan was hot as a rookie to start the season. It happens. And then he goes through this deep cool-off period, right? Peaks and valleys for rookies. So some of them do start at a peak. Some of them start in a valley. So be patient, okay? Be patient with the rookies. Uh, they're going to need time to adjust. They're going to need time to figure out how to do it at the major league level. So the big storyline on offense was for Mio Reyes. He drives in both runs on the day. It starts with a solo home run where he actually got a hold of a curveball and drove one out into uh, the bleachers in left field. Almost hits a woman. <laughs> there was a poor woman who was walking back to her seat from uh, you know getting food or whatever and uh, a bathroom break maybe, and as she's coming out of the tunnel, this Fermil Reyes fly ball lands like right at her feet, bounces right on her side, and scared the living daylights out of her. So he hits one 103.1 miles per hour, 384 out there in the left field for the first run of the game. And frankly, the, uh, the Guardians offense had plenty of chances throughout this game. Leadoff man Quan gets on. God, how many times Ahmed Rosario? We need that pinch hitter in the first inning. We need that opener for Ahmed Rosario because he grounds into a double play again after Quan with the leadoff single. Uh, then in the uh, third inning, uh, we work the bases loaded. They gift us. Montgomery gifts us. After getting the first two out, a ground out and a line out from Clement and Leon, he walks straw. Quan gets on with a fielding error, just a terrible play up the middle. And then he walks Ahmed Rosario to load the bases for Arias, and he strikes him out. Oh, he strikes him out, uh, I believe, with one of those curveballs uh, that he gets him to chase down, and he strikes out Arias with the bases loaded. Vermeil Reyes would hit that leadoff home run. Apparently, that would piss off Montgomery because he would strike out the next three Guardians. Miller, Jimenez, and Clement all go down to strikeouts after Vermeil Reyes homers in that fourth inning. A leadoff single by Sandy Leone. He gets his first hit. As a guardian, he would then strike out Straw and Quan. Those were the strikeouts looking. Before he walks Ahmed Rosario, Gabriel Arias has another chance up with two guys on, and he ends up striking out on that curveball again. And then in the eighth inning, this time, Quan's not going to let it happen. He leads things off with a single. Ahmed Rosario gets us and does not hit into a double play. He gets a single. We got runners on, I believe, first and third. And Gabriel Arias hits a grounder up the middle. They were trying to cut down Quan at the plate, and it works. They get him caught in a rundown. But Gabriel Arias kind of gets caught off first base, and it turns into a double play. That cannot, oh, man, that cannot happen. Right, the whole point of getting caught in a rundown is so that runner can get to second. The runners can move up. It's so the runners can move up as far as they can move up. If you can't move up, you just got to stay and be safe and not be an out in that situation. You can't. Quan going keeps them out of the double play, but you can't then run yourself into a double play. So uh, apparently Francona called him Gabby. That was the nickname for Gabriel Arias. Gabby. Uh, everybody has to end in an E. Quani, I'm sure. Uh, Rosari. I'm sure there's a nickname like that. Everybody ends in an E with Terry Francona. So apparently it's Gabby is the nickname for Gabriel Arias. Um, so yeah, he runs himself into a double play. And you're thinking, rookie, 
rookie, rookie. You're going to make us go into this ninth inning with one nothing. Are you really going to do that to us? Uh, Ahmed Rosario was on. He stopped on second base. He couldn't advance anymore. I think that's where Arias got himself into trouble. And then Fermil Reyes would come up. You're thinking, all right, well, we just ran ourselves out of that inning. Nope, he hits a single, shoots one through the right side at 109.6 miles per hour. I believe the hardest hit ball on the day, um, 109.6 miles per hour. Uh, Yes, and uh, shoots one through the right side and brings Ahmed Rosario into score, and he's more pumped up about the single. He's more excited about the RBI single than he is about the home run. Uh, that's that's cool. That's some passion right there because that's a, he knows how important that run is in the eighth inning. It's more about the team, right? The home run is more about him earlier in the game. This RBI right here is about the team. I got to do this for the team. And he gets it done, and he was very pumped up at first base. Uh, the uh, Owen Miller would reach on a fielding error, but the uh, rally would end there. Jimenez would ground out to end the threat. And then Classe comes in and shuts the door in the ninth inning. So McKenzie said it uh, after the game. He said in his press conference, we had we knew we had to beat them. We knew they are, basically they were a measuring stick. Can you compete with these guys is a big measuring stick. And they were able to get it done on the Sunday finale. Uh, he said, I don't know why I pitch better during day games right now than night games, but hey, it's working. Uh, yeah, so uh, McKenzie gets the job done. That's a big start. That is the promise of Tristan McKenzie, right? When he's not giving up the home runs, my God, this guy is fantastic. Fantastic pitcher. And he does have ace-level stuff, but he's still very young, remember. McKenzie's still 24 years old. As this guy gets to be 25, 26, 27 years old, he is going to develop into one of the toughest pitchers in the American League. So uh, stick with Tristan McKenzie. Do not give up on Tristan McKenzie. Because uh, all those guys that you want to see come up now from AAA and AA, uh, he could be their leader when they get up here. I mean, he really could be the ace of the staff by the time those guys all come up here. I know that the uh, percentile rankings don't look great. There's a lot of blue numbers. For example, he's in the 6th percentile and barrel percentage. Yeah, he's given up a ton of home runs. Uh, but he's still a very, very good pitcher who went through arguably a pretty rough month. Uh, that month of June was not kind to him. He uh, he goes 1-2 and two with a 6-4-4 ERA for the month of June, a 1.36 whip. He gives up 10 home runs in the month of June, but starts out July much, much better. They, they joke, you know, they kind of say it on the broadcast. Oh, nobody needed the calendar to turn to the next month more than Tristan McKenzie. For some reason, that actually... Like works that actually does seem to have an effect sometimes on guys, uh, where a month can really, really suck, and that calendar turns, and next thing you know, they just take off. So I don't know why it, it's probably the mental side of the game, but McKenzie looking a lot better here in the month of July. So MVP on the day, I, I gotta split it. Frankly, I, I can't. How can I take it away from Fermil Reyes? He delivers both RBIs on the day. And how can I take it away from Tristan McKenzie with that fantastic start to shut down the New York Yankees? He survives that second time through the lineup and ends up running through seven innings with the seven strikeouts. It's great stuff. Only three base runners allowed the whole day from Tristan McKenzie. Well, the error he didn't allow. 
So three base runners given up by Tristan McKenzie on the whole day. So they're sharing it. They're splitting the trophy today. For Mio Reyes and Tristan McKenzie, your MVPs on the day. I know sometimes I forget that segment. Sometimes in those losses, I get so wrapped up in what went wrong, I completely forget MVP for the day. But hey, it's my segment. We get to it what? We get to it about 140 out of 162 games. So we're, we're, we're doing all right here. All right. Uh, that's all my thoughts on this one. Uh, you know, in the standings, you know, we leave this Yankee series. We finally get a win against the Yankees on the season. We struggle against the AL East. It's just, I mean, the top, we did all right against the Orioles, but, you know, the real beasts of the AL East, we, we struggle against. We still haven't faced Tampa Bay, I believe, so we'll see how we do against them. But we're two games back in the division, right? After all that, we're still two games back in Minnesota. The White Sox are, you know, they're below 500. They're a game below 500, but they're definitely still in the American League Central. They're four and a half games back of Minnesota. So, uh, you know, it's going to be a three-team race probably through the rest of the season. I I don't see Chicago dropping that far uh, and that it's probably going to be a three-team race. We do have some games. We got four games coming up against Chicago next week. But we do have four games against Detroit right here and three games against Kansas City. So once again, it's a stretch in the schedule. We got four games against Chicago after that and then four games against Detroit before the All-Star break. So that is eight games against Detroit and three against Kansas City where we get a chance to load up on some wins before the All-Star game. By the way, we come out of the All-Star game playing four games against the Chicago White Sox. We've got... Uh, four doubleheaders this month already scheduled, and we'll see if the weather gods in Cleveland uh, are favorable. Luckily, we don't have that many more games left in Cleveland. Uh, we have a lot of road games left, including Boston and Tampa Bay to end the month. So we finally get to see Tampa Bay. Uh, we play them at home to almost end the season, then the Kansas City series. It would have been the series finale. Kansas, Kansas City would have been the series, the season finale. Uh, but then they tacked on that extra Kansas City series from the start. So we get the ridiculous six games at home against Kansas City to end the season. So, yeah, we won't see Tampa Bay at home until the very last homestand. Uh, so, yeah, so that's the schedule coming up for the Guardians. And, yeah, this stretch against the training Kansas City, absolutely, you got to keep racking up the wins. You got to take it to the – if you're going to win – your division, you got to take it to the bottom of your division, right? You got to have a great record against your own division. So we have a ton, a ton of American League Central games coming up. And we'll see what we can do. We'll see if we can maybe, maybe catch the Twins by the All-Star break and see what we can do coming out of it. So that is all my thoughts. Wait, wait, you know, you know what? Hang on, hang on, stay with me. Because there were more transactions. Are you kidding me? More freaking transactions? So... One of the things is we DFA'd Kirk McCarty after his start. We placed Ghosh on the um, 15-day injured list. The pitchers is a 15-day injured list where the hitters is a 10 with a left tricep strain. All right. Uh, They still have him listed as center fielder Anthony Ghost. Are you kidding me, MLB app? Get your stuff together, MLB app. He hasn't been a center fielder for a very long time. Uh, They optioned Anthony Castro back down to Columbus. They brought up James Karinchek. From the Columbus Clippers and Alex Young, the left-handed relief pitcher. I don't expect much out of Alex Young. We do expect Karinchek. We've always expected Karinchek to be a meaningful part of this bullpen. He struggled down there in AAA, but for some reason, his rehab stuff, but for some reason, they thought about bringing him up already. 
So he is up here. Karinchek is with the major league team now. Uh, and then, and then in weird news, uh, so a bunch of our guys have just been bunch bouncing around the waiver wire, right? So Oscar Mercado gets waived by the Phillies after being picked up a few days ago. And then we go and place a claim on him. So now we have Oscar Mercado back in the fold. I, I, I'm guessing at AAA. I'm guessing they're not going to add him to the 40-man roster. That has to be going to AAA, right? That has to be stashing Mercado back in our minor league system. So, yeah, I don't know why. There's so many outfielders at AAA. What do you even need Mercado back in the system for? I think we were all okay with him going to the Phillies. And then, uh, I, can never, I can't remember how to say his name. Gibbet? I don't know, whatever his name is, he had got picked up by the Dodgers. Now he got released by the Dodgers, so he's back into the waiver wire system. So a bunch of our guys are pinballing all around the waiver wire. We'll see how many of them end up back back in our minor league system, I guess. I don't know. Uh, you know, there was talent there that they saw originally when they put a claim on him. Where are they going to go out there and claim him again? So more transactions. And don't you feel like more are going to happen with this doubleheader today? I mean, yes, they're going to have to call up a starter. Uh, it looks like Plesak is assigned to start game one against Hill for the Tigers. And then it's TBD for the Guardians in game two in the night game against Fayedo. But I think we all heard that that was going to be Pilkington. So that'll be one transaction calling him up. Uh, we'll see if there's any other transactions go down. If, if there's anything with uh, Alex Young or something like that or another bullpen arm for the doubleheader so we'll see what happens here uh, with the Guardians because seemingly they make like four transactions a day now so we'll see what else goes on I don't know why they wanted to bring Oscar Mercado back it just clogs everything up but hey I, I don't know maybe they thought he could be good leadership down in Columbus or something like that uh, and, you know when a pulling case of emergency a guy who has major league experience I I don't know. I'd rather see. There's so many of those young outfielders in AAA. Everybody wants to see. They want to see Will Brennan. They want to see Nolan Jones uh, and Will Benson down there. The three of them, you know, people want to see them. We had that opportunity in the majors. So I don't know what Mercado coming in does for that. All right. It gives them a little more depth than Columbus, I guess. All right. That is definitely all my thoughts on this one. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. We beat the Yankees. We did it. We beat the New York Yankees. We proved we could win a game against the best of the AL East, the best in baseball right now. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barrios. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash clevelandbaseballmornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play it back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. <laughs>